We are back with another podcast episode for the Caldwell 11th Ward podcast. Uh, I am Tom Blaisdell, your host. We are here tonight with Jim Miles. Jim, thank you for uh, letting me into your house. No problem, Tom. Happy to have you here. <laughs> I mean, we could have done it outside. It was a really nice night, but then uh, I think the birds would have chirped and taken over the microphones. It's beautiful in Caldwell. We're happy to be here. It is a nice day. Yep. Yeah. Um, let's get to know you. Where are you from? Sure. Where'd you grow up? I grew up just outside of Salt Lake City. It's actually called Salt Lake County, uh, in between Holiday and Murray. Uh, my parents moved there in 1953. Uh, they purchased two acres. Uh, so my dad was kind of a mini farmer. Um, I have three older brothers. And so we uh, were taught some good, good traits on that small little farm. So you're the baby. I am the youngest of four brothers. All right. No wonder you have a good sense of humor. You have to when you have <laughs> three older brothers, right? <laughs> Got it. Uh, were you guys close in age? Actually, we were between two and three years apart. Uh, my parents, uh, I'll give you the short story of my parents. My mother and father met in 1940. Uh, and my father uh, enlisted in World War II in 19, roughly 1940. And so my father was 25 and my mother was 25 at the time that they met. And so my mother waited for my dad for five, almost, almost five years uh, during World War II. So they were married when they were almost 30 years old. What branch of the military was he in part of? My father was in the 1st Armored Division. Uh, he fought in Northern Africa and Italy. Um, he was in the, uh, um, what I would consider the tank Area. He was a field mechanic. Uh, he was a sergeant and handled uh, a group of people that repaired tanks and half tracks and, and jeeps and kept our, our troops uh, with um, good tanks to hopefully take care of the enemy. So he spent a lot of time in the mud and, and sleeping in the back of a truck. So, But he didn't come back until the end of the war. End of the war. Until VE Day. He finished the entire war. Wow. So he arrived in, in Salt Lake City June 24th. Uh, and my parents were married June 29th of the same year. So my mother said, uh, Richard, it's either now or never. So my dad saluted up and my mom and dad went to the Salt Lake Temple and got married. So so the kids were born when my mother was 30, 31 years old. So um, she uh, got busy and had four boys and uh, I was the last of that bunch. What was it like growing up on those two acres? Was it uh, pretty rural or was it near any city? Uh, like you say, Murray and yeah, Holland. we we had the comforts of semi semi uh, suburban. Uh, most of the lots around us were one acre or two acres, so we uh, had a great time growing up. My father had a full garden. Um, we had some farm animals. Um, we had some little milking goats that he milked every night and every morning. He also had a full time job. He worked for Mountain Fuel Supply, which is equivalent to uh, Intermountain Gas. Um, so he worked there for almost 40 years. Are there a few experiences that stick out in your mind as you were growing up that, uh, that shaped who you are today? Actually, uh, my father was quite the organized individual where he, uh, for example, uh, when we prepared for a deer hunt, um, he would start about three weeks before the deer hunt actually happened. And we had a full shop uh, and he would lay out every piece of equipment that he thought he may need on that overnight deer hunt. 
jacks, picks, water, jugs. Wait, just overnight? Overnight. <laughs> okay. We never hunted on Sunday. All right. uh, so we would come home on either Saturday night or Sunday morning early, and uh, then we would attend church. So pretty strict rules there at the Miles home. Got it. But there was a lot of stuff for just one night. He wanted to be prepared. Got it. So the military taught him to be prepared, and uh, I respect that my dad. Obedience was a, a key factor in our household. So yeah, Interesting. Yeah. Uh, what were, are there a few stories there got to be where little, uh, little Jim was disobedient? Uh, little Jim was not disobedient. Okay. He, he was almost a perfect child. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Um, with, with three older brothers, I don't believe it, man. What, what are some of the things you got into when you guys were running around? Well, uh, a funny story is that um, I earned enough money when I was growing up to build myself what they called a tote goat. And a tote goat would be like a mini bike today. Um, so I saved my money. I mowed some lawns and worked around people's yards and saved my money. And I had this uh, tote goat that would go approximately 13 miles an hour on full throttle. But the nice thing about it is, is that I would use the gas from the shop from the gas cans, but never tell my dad that I was using the gas. So I would go through two or three gallons a week, and my good dad never said one thing about the gas and the gas can. So he but he got, knew it was you. He knew it was me. And then as I got a little bit older, uh, my dad had a fridge out in the shop, and he would keep it loaded with uh, soda pop and all kinds of good stuff. So I would drink a soda pop, and then I started to hide the empty cans around the shop in the rafters. And he never said a word, but I would place those cans in strategic locations throughout that shop. So that went on for probably all of my high school days and then shortly after. So it was quite fun. Nice. Yeah. yeah, another story about the shop is my brother, Doug, uh, was three years older than I was. And we were in the shop doing some various things and he crawled up in the, what we had was a hayloft where we kept the hay for the animals. And so Brother Doug climbed up in the loft and then he tried to climb down next to the rafter and the roof on the side of the barn inside and he got halfway, almost all the way through and his head got stuck in between the roof and the rafter. And so he was yelling and screaming for Jim, Jimmy, 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 help me, help, help. So I got boxes and stacked them up underneath his feet and then I went and got my other brother and we actually cut a hole around my brother's head and he was able to get out of the barn. So when my dad got home, he said, what's up, boys? And uh, typically back in those days, you might have a little paddle. Uh, Brother Doug got the paddle. So anyway. But you saved him, right? Saved his life. That's there funny, man. There you go. Um, after you got done with high school, where did life take you? Um, high school, I went to Granite High School in, in Salt Lake City. And... Um, after high school, I worked, um, Mountain Fuel had a summer program where we had to apply for a, uh, a position at my dad's company. It was a large company, so we interviewed at the top of the top of the heap, and they accepted my application, and my interview was good, and they, they hired me for a summer help right out of high school. And it was designed for young men that were going to go to college, so it gave them an opportunity to earn some money, and so I went to work for Mountain Fuel for three months. And then I attended the University of Utah. And then the next summer, uh, they accepted me back for another summer. Um, so I worked that summer. 
again, attended the University of Utah. Then uh, I ended that and, and went on a mission to Northern Italy uh, after high school. So That's awesome. Yeah. Um, what was Italy like for you? Uh, Italy was extremely stressful, Tom. Yeah, well, what made it so stressful? Uh, I, I was having some health issues that I was un unaware of that, that was uh, causing that problem, so it was extremely stressful. And for about seven, eight months, uh, I stayed in Italy and then uh, was in hospital um, two or three times. I flew to Virginia and they put me in the hospital and uh, tried to diagnose what was wrong. And they really couldn't find anything that was significantly wrong. So uh, they sent me home and released me from my mission early. So I didn't get the satisfaction of completing my mission in Italy. Um, about seven years later, attending, uh, going to the doctor in Salt Lake City, they actually found out what the problem was. So that was a real tough time for me, for that seven years of feeling like I didn't complete something that I wanted to complete. Mm. And it really wasn't anything that I could have changed. So things happen for a reason. So I was married and all things are good. Got it. Um, so did you finish your studies at the U? I did not finish. Um, I was working at a company called Beacon Metals. Okay. And my, my first wife, um, uh, Jeanette, her uncle was the president of, of Beacon Metals. And uh, I worked in the warehouse while I was going to the U. Uh, I would leave at 3 o'clock and then go up to school. And they offered me a position within that company. Um, so I gradually started to move up the company. And, of course, our first child was coming. So I looked at my options and said, let's make this a career. So... Uh, I've been in that particular business for going on 50 years. 50? You're still, you're 50 still with years. the same company? I'm still working. No, I'm still working full-time for a different company, but oh. I'm in the same industry. For the same industry. Oh, right. my yeah. gosh. Yeah. That's great. So what um, what do you do now professionally in the company? So I work for a company out of um, Richmond, California, and we just recently moved to Concord, California. Mm -hmm. um, the company is E.M. Hundley. And I'm a senior estimator for that company in what we call the doors, frames, and hardware business. So all those church doors that we have on our chapel, schools, hospitals, um, I design those, uh, bid those. Um, so I take my experience and, and people think, oh, it's just a door, it's just a, a doorknob. Well, some of those doorknobs and some of those pieces on that door are between five and $3,000 for a piece of hardware. So it's quite extensive. Some of my projects I've done is some of my largest projects have been 66 story tower in Oklahoma City. Um, I've done 64 stories in San Francisco. And some of those contracts are between uh, five and $20 million. For doors? For doors. That's amazing. That's, yeah, it is. So, I had no idea that, that that industry, I mean, we all use doors, but I didn't know right. that. Yeah. There was a guy like you. I'm a door guy. Designing them and putting That's them all together for bids. That's right. That's my, pretty cool. My son is also in the same business. Oh, okay. He's a regional manager for Ingersoll, not Ingersoll Rand, but Allegion. So he's been in the door business now 27 years. Hmm. Um, so he uh, travels around the United States and has a group of people that he uh, manages. So, cool. Yeah. So you, uh, with your first wife, the two of you, you were in Salt Lake area then? And we how did, long were you there for? We lived in the Salt Lake area. We moved to South Jordan. That's where we had our family, and and uh, 
we were married for just about 34 years. Okay. Uh, and then she passed away with uh, breast cancer. Um, so there you go. Uh, and then you met Karen? Well, uh, at the time, uh, I was building custom homes with my son I was managing. Also, I was working for Granite Mill, which is a, uh, they had a, a door division. So I was the vice president of Granite Mill. Uh, and then I would build homes. Uh, basically, I was a construction manager. Uh, he and I, and uh, at the time, we were working through Zions Bank in Salt Lake City. Uh, they had an office in Draper. And it just so happened that I was there uh, working on a draw for some of my subcontractors. And my daughter Erica needed a job. And so I said, why don't you talk to the people at Zions Bank and work in their construction loan department? So she applied and she was accepted at Zions Bank in their construction loan department. Along through that process, um, my wife passed away. And so um, Erica and Karen's sister, Renee, got to know each other real well at Zions Bank. So during that process, Renee, Karen's sister, talked to Erica and said, if your dad's ever interested, I have a single sister. And Erica said, well, my dad isn't quite ready yet. So I'll let you know when my dad's kind of ready to maybe date again. So that time came and I met Karen and there you go. I'm the luckiest man two times over, Tom. I've been very, very blessed. It's very hard to lose a spouse and then find that second time to love someone else. That's an important part of the gospel. It sounds like, in a way, that was a spiritual experience for you. Would you mind telling us more about that? At the same time that I was, uh, my wife was going through chemotherapy and radiation treatment, she had over 100 chemo treatments. She, I'll, I'll say this nicely, she lasted for almost three years to the day. Mm. Um, during that process, she watched your spouse just dwindle down to, you know, less than 75 pounds and and. That's really hard to watch. At the same time, I was also the bishop of the Winter 12th Ward in Salt Lake City. So you have that added responsibility on top of everything else. And you learn to trust people and count on your counselors to step in and take care of what you can't. And they understood full well. I work for an awesome stake president, President uh, Chris Funk. I said, this is kind of how it's going to be. And he said, I'm perfectly fine with what you do, Bishop. You have to rely on good people. They stepped up and they really took care of a lot of things that I couldn't. So I would go to church, have my meetings at 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock, come home, take care of my wife, go back at 11 o'clock for sacred meeting or another meeting, finish the block, go home during Sunday school, then go back after the block, go home, take care of my wife, and then go back to the church. During the work week, I would go into the office at 7 o'clock, leave at 9.30, come home for two hours. Then I'd go back to the office for another three hours, and then I would come home. And then sometimes I would either stay or just work from home. So I have to tell you, that was a difficult time of my life. And I look back on it now, and it was a builder of character, a builder of being obedient. And I, I'm extremely lucky to have good kids. So that's really the end of that. Right. No, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, where are your kids? Are they nearby? Or they, do they, do they no, even live the, here? All, they the, kids, live all the kids live in, in Utah. In Utah. Uh, one lives in Kaysville, another lives in Stansbury Park. And the youngest daughter, she's now recently just purchased a home in Florida. Oh. They're going to move to Florida. Brought you and Karen to, uh, back to Idaho. Well, she lived here in Nampa. Sorry, you li- you were in Salt. Uh, I was kind of maxing out my time at a company in, in Utah, and my son, who <clears throat> excuse me, who traveled to Idaho, said, "Dad, there's a great company that could probably use your help." I said, "Okay." I said, "We're going to go up and see Karen's mother." I said, "Let's hook up with the company." I knew the manager there, so I um, had just recently had knee replacement. Um, so we got in the car a couple of months after that knee replacement. Drove to Idaho and I went in for a semi interview and uh, said, "Yeah, this will be okay." It's kind of a kind of a fifty-fifty. We knew Karen's mom was here, we knew the job was here, and Karen's mom was getting up in age, so we thought probably a good time to to make a leap. So Chet and his his family were here. Um, we thought more time with the grandkids. Well, a year and a half after we were here, Chet gets a promotion, moves back to Salt Lake. So now all the kids are back in Utah and we're here in Idaho. <laughs> so Of course it works out that way, the right? The rule is never follow your children. Oh got it. Never follow the children. <laughs> all right. You mentioned something I'm gonna I'm gonna go back a little yeah, bit, Tom. Sure. You mentioned something about what, what built your, your your character um, early on. And I wanna tell you two stories and I don't know whether we have time or not. For sure, man. This but, is your podcast but essentially. When I was when I was <laughs> Going on 13 years of age, uh, I loved Little League Baseball, and I had some coaches that were terrific coaches, but they they weren't members of the church, but they had great leadership skills, and at the end of the season, um, they picked picked the All-Stars, and I played for the Hillview All-Stars in 1966. We flew to Santa Monica, California, on the big Western Airlines, my first time on a jet, and flew to Santa Monica, and we stayed with families in Santa Monica, and then we played in the Western Finals of the, of the Little League World Series. But during that time, during those Little League World Series games, you bunked up with another, another young boy, right? Another boy your age. Sure. And my teachings from my parents said, you act like this and this is what you do. Remember who you are and what you represent. Well, the young boy that I was staying with in someone else's home had a full bar downstairs. And my roommate would slip down at night and go to the bar and fix himself a big cold beer at at 12 and 13 years of age and drink downstairs, then come up and go to sleep and go to bed. And I thought, at that time, I could have done the same thing. But I was taught different. That you respect people, you remember what, you, what values you have. And guess what? At the end of the World Series, the last game, my coach comes up to me, and my coach, that coach was not a member of the church. His name was Al Siciliano. He owned a bar on State Street in Murray, Utah. He was a great guy. And he comes up to me, and he goes, Jimmy, I need you to go in and pitch the last inning. The game was tied. So we, so I warmed up. He put me in the game. And I struck out those three batters. It was my turn to come to bat. 
I got up to bat and I jacked the home run out over the left field fence. And Al Cicliano picked me up and hugged me like my dad did. And I have to tell you, I respect all of those coaches that I had early on in my, in my baseball career. But those things stick with you for a long time. The people that influenced your life don't have to be members of the church. They can be good, honest people. But pay attention to what you've learned as a, as a young man. So you had a really interesting experience, not only with these coaches that were your leaders, but it sounds like that story also influenced who you would become and the character yeah, I think so, Tom. Uh, that you were building. Yeah, I think so. My dad was, a, was one that you followed the rules. So following the rules, I think, really paid off um, during my life. I could, have, I could have done a lot of things that I shouldn't have. I love dirt bikes. I had a, an amazing dirt bike. Uh, you know, I was semi-wild on that dirt bike and did find some time on the asphalt. So um, it could have been even a little bit more, um, could have gone the other way. So I've been very, very lucky. You said you had an, another story. Do, do you want to share? You've probably heard this story before. When I was 13, um, <clears throat> I was a seventh grade, um, seventh grader at Granite Park Junior High School. And it was April, and I had just um, ran um, a track, kind of like a track tryout. And I just had, had ran the fastest 50. And back in those days, you had 50-yard dash, 100-yard dash, 220. So it's all changed now. Now it's 100 and 200 meters. So I had the fastest time in the junior high school for a 50-yard dash as a seventh grader. So they were just going to move me into the track team as a seventh grader and compete with the ninth grade teams. So I was extremely happy about that. That weekend, our scoutmaster took a group of boys to Flaming Gorge. There were eight scouts. And he drove a pickup truck, a Chevy pickup truck, and he built a small camper on the back out of plywood. And so we, we got in the back of that pickup truck and we were in our sleeping bags and we were going up Echo Canyon to Flaming Gorge and Echo Canyon's near Colville. It's a windy mountain road and we were heading up there going about 50, 55. And uh, my scoutmaster, whose name was Raymond Gokaritz, looked up ahead and he saw sparks coming off the uh, mountain wall. And his brother was in front of him about, oh, three or 400 yards and all of a sudden, a car came off the rocks and swerved over in front of us, and the scoutmaster, Ray Raymond, had pulled to the right, and that car hit us head-on. She was going over 50 miles an hour and hit us head-on with uh, a 65 Chevy, and you know how heavy 65 Chevys are. So, at the time of that impact, the boys in the back of the truck of eight boys, four that were closest to the cab, didn't eject out of the top of the um, bed. They just crumpled up in, uh, up in the front. No injuries at all. But the four of us that were in the back of the truck near the tailgate were ejected out of that pickup truck and tore the, tore the top of the little camper off and then went down a 20-foot embankment onto railroad tracks where the Union Pacific Railroad goes up Echo Canyon. So the four of us lay there on the railroad tracks 
I was unconscious until the paramedics or the police or the ambulance uh, actually woke me and tried to get me to, to wake up. When they woke me up, I couldn't move. So we were loaded on stretchers and taken to the little hospital in Colville, Utah. And Raymond, uh, he was in the cab. Uh, he broke his sternum and, and fractured his knee or not sure exactly the, the full damage. But the passenger, he went through the windshield and they stitched him up with 350 stitches on his oh face. My gosh. So I broke my clavicle, broke the bone behind my ear and tore up my right knee. And so we were in the hospital and Raymond comes in and I couldn't walk. And he, he came in and he said, you know, we're so sorry this happened. I said, I said, Brother Gokritz, here's what, here's the deal. We are all alive. And I said, the reason that we're alive is that we had prayer Saturday morning before we left. And I said, that is, that is why we're still here, Ray. We had prayer and asked for help. Yeah, we were in a serious accident, but not one of us was killed. That is an amazing story that nobody was killed. Nobody was killed. One, one boy had a broken neck. One boy, boy had lacerations on his face. Um, so I had bruises all over everywhere. Um, so that basically ruined my track career for seventh and eighth grade because I couldn't, I couldn't participate. Um, so that was a kind of a long summer for me. So anyway. But you could see a direct correlation from that prayer to God answering that and taking care of you. What did that mean to you? Well, it meant that I had, I had leaders that, that believed in, in the church and in, in a higher being, Heavenly Father. Because Raymond, was he was a, a German uh, immigrant from East Berlin. He and his family crawled through mud, crawled through fences and escaped East Berlin to come to America and and he was a true German he didn't take any any crap um, so he was a he was a great man in my opinion and so it's good to know good people that build your character right true and uh, not just build your character but supplemented that in strengthening your faith in the experiences that you had yeah um, Appreciate you sharing that, Jim. I no think that's, uh, no that's a that is a crazy story, though. Um, anyway, back to my yeah. World Series. Go ahead. So we ended what up position taking, did you play, by the way? I played center field. Okay, and 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 pitcher. And pitcher, yeah. Right, and usually the center fielder, and I was pretty proud of this. They have what they call a rocket arm. I had a massive <laughs> arm, and later on, I played competitive softball in all types of different leagues in Salt Lake City. Uh, I was I was in the Metro League, which. Uh, had people like Ron Boone from the Utah Jazz and, and other people that were in that same league. So I was in the elite league in that particular, and, and I played center field and left field. And in the Sandy League, um, one year I, I hit probably more than 25 home runs and got a nice trophy. And so, yeah, my baseball career continued on. Nice. Yeah. If there was a message that you could send into the future... For your progeny to hear 100 years from now, what would that message be to them? Part of life is, is being able to give love and receive love. 
and being obedient. So if you're a loving and obedient person, you're going to find your pathway. And, and obedience is, is paired up with honesty. You have to be honest, obedient, and loving. And I think all things will come. Well, that's another episode of the Caldwell 11th Ward Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe. Get notifications when a new episode uh, gets posted.